And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Culture Calculus. I'm Kavitha Davidson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason Jones, Sacramento Kings beat writer for The Athletic. Jason, happy, happy after July 4th. Yeah, it's been a very fun or such an interesting July already. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, as of this recording, six days in and, and quite a few things have happened. We were originally going to do a mid-year in review show, um, and we'll definitely talk about some of the stuff that's happened in the first half of this year. But it also seems like a lot of stuff that happened in the second half of last week that we can talk <laughs> about, too. Uh, so why don't, why don't we kick it off? Jason, if you were to talk about or pick one kind of story or topic from the first half of this year that's defined 2021, what would that be for you? I mean, as for me, I have to go back all the way to January 6th, the whole takeover riot at the Capitol. It just, to me, set a tone for just another weird year. And you see it just kind of just chaos or just things just are still a lot of whack, it feels like, in a lot of different ways, whether in the sports world, away from sports. You just see, to me, a lot of this, un- I don't even know if it's even unusual anymore. It's just the way things are. You know, you look at the NBA playoffs and everyone's getting hurt. And then you look at just the way the football season ended. And, you know, maybe that was the one normal thing. Tom Brady won another Super Bowl. But then we get to see a drunk Tom Brady throwing the trophy across the water. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, to me, it's just been so many different things. But to me, really, it all started with that where you're saying, I can't believe I'm watching this. And like, yes, you are watching this. And don't think that because December 31st hit in 2020 that everything just goes back to the way everyone wants it to be or things were. We still got a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, I feel like once we hit that calendar, once we turned that calendar page, 2020 was such a just frankly shit year um, that I think a lot of us assumed things could only get better because they were so bad last year. And I mean, time doesn't really work like that. And 2021 has just kind of been an extension of all the stuff that we've gone through in 2020. Um, you know, the capital insurrection being the first highlight of that. Yeah, and we're still in a pandemic. And I think people forget that. I mean, we got to remember that for sure. <laughs> it's almost like now that kind of gets pushed to the background. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, this COVID thing is still out here. But, you know. It, yeah, it's just been it's just been a lot going on, and I think you know if you thought maybe the first half of the year was going to be was was kind of wild, July one hits and you're, then July says I got something for you. Hold my beer. <laughs> we got a lot coming at you, you know, for the second half. Basically, hold my beer. Yeah, I mean, I mean the craziest I remember exactly where I was when the Capitol started to get stormed. I think a lot of people have probably seen that 40-minute New York Times video that came out last week with a lot of footage that we hadn't seen before, just kind of putting everything from that day together. You know, we've still got lawmakers and politicians 
denying things that we can see with our own eyes happening on that day. And that's just kind of, that's the tone, right? Of like today's modern kind of discourse in politics is we've got people denying outright facts and like being able to do so, getting away with it. And we've got people just completely incapable of agreeing on anything, even when we've got video footage of it. Um, and it's just, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's definitely been a time. Now we could probably relate that to, you know, two people not being able to agree on whether or not a, a foul is a flagrant. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, things that we can very clearly see with our own eyes. Jason, do you think that, I mean, have we, have we learned anything from January 6th? I don't know if we have learned anything. I think, if anything, people have doubled down on their side. I mean, you still got, you know, politicians who want to maintain that that nah, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, OK, you know, we all know what we saw. <laughs> we all saw it. And this to it's almost like people are more, you know, ingrained in their side than they were before then. That's the crazy part to me It's like, you know, you have people still arguing about the election. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that to me, it's insane. It's like it's over. It's over. Like It literally is over. And people are still arguing that the, the election was not legitimate. And then you see the voter suppression thing start to happen, you know, rolling out. And it, it just seems like all that did was if you were on, if you were a part of the, you know, the insurrection crew, you just feel stronger than ever for whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't quite get it. Maybe it's just me, but it just seems like things didn't get, you know, didn't get better with that. It's just people just kind of said, you know what? Hey, this happened. You know what? Now we're going to be even more, you know, into this and we're going to de- deny video facts. I mean, is this an, I mean, you can debate opinions, but you can't debate what you saw on video. You can't debate that, but I guess you can. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not two sides to a, a crowd of people busting through windows and doors of the United States Capitol building. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know how you, do, how you dispute that. I mean... You can't, you can't say. Well, they're playing games with the camera, with people storming, mm-hmm. <laughs> storming. They the were Capitol. just like normal tourists. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I know. I visited the Capitol before. I don't think I was ever allowed to just storm through and, you know, assault police officers and. Yeah, for sure. And you said it too. It's like this whole planting seeds of doubt about the legitimacy of a democratically elected president is also working to the end of all of these lawmakers introducing voter suppression bills. And you're, you know, you're like, well, that was a legitimate election, but people have doubts in, in, in their election integrity, and therefore we need to pass these bills. It's like, well, no, people are having these doubts because you are telling them to doubt them. And then you're <laughs> passing all of these bills to deny a bunch of people after an election where we had record turnout and record turnout from Black folk and from folks in, in areas that don't always have high turnout and don't always have great access to polls. Um, and now we're just going to try and walk back all of that, all of that progress that we made. Yeah, and it's, you know, I always remind people the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and, and you look, you know, was, was still not, that still wasn't 200 years ago. There were mm-hmm. people, a lot of people were, who were alive now were alive back then who didn't like it and still don't like it. So I think a lot of times we get caught up in, you know, hey, well, these laws were passed, so everything must be fine. It's like, you think those, you think those people who were mad back then didn't have kids? didn't pass along some of those same ideologies to their kids who are now, 
trying to get back to the way things you know used to be. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not over, and I just I hope a lot of people took from that and what you see going on now that there's still a whole lot of work to do right now. It's not over. It, it, you know, it doesn't just go away because you want to change the news station. If you want to watch NB, in, you know, NBC instead of Fox News, it, it's not going away. There's still a lot of work to be done. Right. And there was a there was a photo that um, that was going viral last week. And it was um, I think it was from the early 70s or the late 60s. But it was, you know, black kids and, and teenagers and, and some young adults um, basically just in the water on a beach that was the segregated beach. And, um, you know, the white patrons of that beach very forcibly, you know, getting them out of the water and things like that. And somebody tweeted it with the caption of, you know, the white folk in this, in this photo, given that it wasn't that long ago are in their sixties. Now they're younger than my parents. So those people obviously, as you said, had kids and are passing that shit down to them. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just not going away from a sports perspective. I'm interested. Is there like, is there a moment that we've experienced in the first six months in sports that have kind of captured how either divided or how not post-racial are, we are as a country? I don't know if there, for me, if there's one, I think mm-hmm. you, we can go through a few different instances to where you can see the divide still. You can look at the NBA coaching hiring cycle. Mm-hmm. You can look at the, um, just the, I mean, to me, that was a big one. You look at, you know, my LA Dodgers and Trevor Bauer, where you look at the, the reactions to that. You look at the reaction to the ESPN situation. I mean, there's just so many clear divides in this country that sports just highlights and reminds us of. And like I said, when you look at the, say, the, the coaching cycle, you look at some of the arguments that people were making in favor of Becky Hammond were the same arguments that you hear black people make for, say, Eric Bieniemy mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and... And it, it was just interesting to hear some of the people who before would say, you know what, Eric Bien, I mean, it's just, you know, wait, wait, his, you know, his time will come, then flip around and go, hold up. How come Becky Hammond hasn't jumped the line yet? These guys are cowards and they're afraid to hire a woman. And then you, I know black folk going, oh, now you, now you hear what we've been saying? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you hear, then, you know, with the Chauncey Billups hire, the way the PR department in Portland shut Jason Quick down with the follow-up. And then even you hear the divide in that as well. You hear, I heard people say, you know what? The only reason people are mad is because this is a black guy getting a job over a white woman. And he's, he used some of those same connections and he knew Neil O'Shea already that, that white men have used for years to get that position. And you, now it, you don't like it. So, I mean, I think all these things continue to highlight you know, that we've got to, you know, divide. And at the same time there, we're being hard and rightfully so when the accusations about Chauncey and Jason Kidd, we're watching Marv Albert get celebrated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when it's just like no one says a word. And I remember hearing that stuff as a kid going, this shit is wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a kid growing up in New York and Marv Albert obviously was the voice of the Knicks um, like way back when they were on like Pixelep or the WB11 when they had that frog. <laughs> <laughs> the good old WB. You remember the WWWWB. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when he announced his retirement, I want to say it was May and 
immediately you had this outpouring of, oh, you know, this iconic voice and, and everything. And, and yes, absolutely. Like, I can't think of those 90s Knicks teams and not hear Marv Albert's voice, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I also, like you, remember very vividly the things that he was accused of. And I think I was too young to really understand <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> but how did we just forget that entire part of this person's story that yeah, I mean, I do think that redemption is a thing um, and is possible, but we haven't, it doesn't seem like we've even begun to talk about what that would mean for Marv Albert. We've just given him redemption. Um, and and I, I retweeted what I had tweeted in May when he announced his retirement when he called his last game last week because it was the exact same thing. I feel like we always, you know, I feel like we're so we're so uncomfortable having that conversation that we just don't, we just avoid it all altogether. It's just easier not to have it. Yeah. I think that's, that's very true. We just, it's easier just to not talk about it at all. And I admit, I don't know what redemption is in a situation that involves sexual assault. I don't know what redemption is. I don't pretend to, I don't pretend I've never been a victim. So I don't know. And I understand that people have, you know, this has been a triggering time these last few weeks, you know, between Marv, like I said, Trevor Bauer, Bill Cosby, and it's exposed, you know, it's, I don't, you know, in terms of redemption, I don't know. I know with the Chauncey situation, you say that was 20 some odd years ago. With Bill Cosby, it was just, it just, you know, it was recent. And what it's done to me, it's, it's almost shocked me that you start to find out how people really feel about situations. And it's all, it's scary. You know, in a lot of ways, this last week has been scary. I'm talking to some of my friends who I've known for a while, and some of the things they say in 2021, you go, oh, my God, you really think like that? Yeah, the, the timeline when the Cosby thing came down was wild. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, I, that, that was a I don't want to be on social media day for me. I was just like, let me, I don't want, I have nothing to say. I mean, just some of these takes of just, you know, I mean, it's to me, it's crazy that in 2021, especially, you still have men saying things like, well, she wasn't attractive mm-hmm. or come on, they knew. And or he's rich and famous. He doesn't have to do that. Like there's a fundamental lack of understanding amongst a lot of men that rape, rape is not about, well, she's attractive. It's violence and it's power. Right. It's not about, well, she's cute. And it's crazy that you think to think that we still have to have these conversations, but clearly we do. And I mean, it was, it was super interesting. I mean, I, I will preface this by saying it was very hard for me to read the Trevor Bauer report. I mean, I've, I was sexually assaulted and I saw, I read a lot of similarities in what this woman says she went through um, and what happened to me, but it was very interesting to see kind of the divided or the, the, Despair, the disparate reactions between the Trevor Bauer thing and Cosby going free. And part of it obviously does rest on this very complicated racial history that we have of, of black men being falsely accused by white women of, of sexual assault, obviously, and going to jail or losing their lives, being killed for it. Um, and there's a long history there that we can't, obviously, we can't deny but I was really disheartened to see, because we're, ta- we're talking about one woman in a civil case who got her level of justice across more than 50 women who have accused Bill Cosby of doing these things, right? Right. And it was really disheartening for me to see, I mean, obviously, I expect his lawyers to put out any kind of a statement they can for their client. That's their job. Lawyers aren't really um, of the highest moral standing anyway, so that's, that's fine. But it was really disheartening for me to see a lot of people 
you know, along with the excuses that you kind of gave, um, that you summarized for them, also just saying, you know, like this was a win for the culture. Like finally, like, you know, we, like we, we, we got one because he's black and, and he's not going to do time. And this was prosecutorial misconduct and all of that. And the lawyer put out a statement to the effect of like, this was a win for black America, which I thought was so gross and opportunistic. And fundamentally, like if we're talking about Cosby, we're talking about Chauncey, Jason Kidd, Whenever we have these conversations and it is a black man who has been accused of these things, we seem to forget when it's a black woman who's doing the accusing or who is the victim. And, and why, why is that, like why we can't seem to show any kind of caring or empathy for the black women who are being abused? at this level. And that is one of the more troubling things too. I know there were people who said, well, it was a white woman, of course, you know, and the history is complicated. It's, it's, it's documented, you know, where you've had white women and have, have a relationship with a black man. And when it's found out, okay, oh my God, people are mad at me. Well, he made me do it. He forced me. Right. You know, and like to, to people, we haven't gotten past Emmett Till yet. Right. You know, so, I mean, I understand that, but it is really disheartening to see, from my point of view, black men make statements like, well, if I had, I heard someone say, if my daughter goes to a guy's room at two in the morning, she knows what she's going there for. And it's like, that is so scary to think about. Yeah. That that someone would say, I, my daughter better know what she's going there for. It's like, so, so that means that man has the right to do whatever he wants because she's there. He doesn't. And it was, and I think what I've talking to people I know would hurt them too was also to see black women like Felicia Rashad jump mm-hmm. out and be like, "Hey, this is, a, you know, a great injustice has been corrected." It was like, it was a, he's out on a technicality, right? And I'm all for, you know, fighting the, the a crooked system, justice, you know, racial justice in the court system. But Bill Cosby is not Nelson Mandela. And to me, that was the most disturbing part that people were celebrating. It, it, it reminded me of growing up and seeing the OJ stuff. Mm-hmm. But to me, this was even worse because it wasn't you, you didn't have a Mark Furman. You know, you had a guy in a deposition saying, I bought the drugs for this. And then to hear men say, well, they must. Well, they took them. They must have wanted them. Or he doesn't have to rape women. And I say, well, why did he do it then? If he doesn't have to rape, why did he rape? Well, you don't know that he did. Well, just because he bought the pills doesn't mean that he, that he raped them. Or that was the thing to do in the 70s. You point out, this last case was 2004, not mm-hmm. 1974. We were all well aware <laughs> in 2004 that was not cool. Right. And to, you know, to just try to find ways to dismiss it and... And still, we're still hung up on this whole idea of someone's perception of, of who's beautiful or who's handsome dictates what they can do. I even go back to the whole Darren Sharper case mm-hmm. where I heard women say, he looks so good, he wouldn't have to rape me. It's like, you don't under, it wasn't, a, he was an NFL safety. He didn't, it wasn't about access to women. It was about power, violence, mm-hmm. and control. It, and it's, it's uncomfortable and I think I can only imagine what someone like you or who's been through this or people, I have friends who have been victims and they tell me it is painful when you go on social media and people who you consider your friends say things like, 
oh, he looks good. <laughs> he wouldn't have to do that to me. Or, oh, Bill's rich. He never had to do that. And it's, it's, it, it made for, to me, a real toxic environment to start the month off. Just, and it was just almost like, you know, every horrible, disgusting take, even going back to R. Kelly and all, is, these are all the same people, <laughs> it seems like, who come up with reasons to justify this vile behavior. And it was, it was tough for me. I was just like, I had to just kind of like, you know, hey, log off and you know, play with my kids for a while. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and you know, the thing about Bill Cosby also is that, I mean, this is a, this is a guy who, yes, like we've, we grew up watching him. We grew up watching, you know, Dr. Huxtable and all of that. But we also grew up having him be the face of respectability politics and telling young black men that, you know, they need to pull their pants up, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like what part of the culture are we preserving here um, yeah. by exonerating? He wasn't exonerated. We should be like very careful about yeah. that. But what by, tell, by yeah. freeing Bill Cosby. Yeah, what it tells me is that black people are so desperate for a win in the justice mm-hmm. system, you'll, they'll take anything. And even as flawed, like I said, before Bill went to jail, like you said, he was telling black boys, you're getting harassed because your pants are hanging off your butt. Mm-hmm. Pull your pants up and they'll leave you alone. It's like, and I was reminding my friends too, Heathcliff Huxtable is not a real person. Right. And there's a lack of, new. I mean, there's a lack of nuance in a lot of these discussions. The Cosby show was great for the culture, but that doesn't mean Bill Cosby was a great human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two things can be true. He played a wonderful character on television while also being a complete creep and asshole. Both well, and also both like if we're true. both can both are absolutely true. And if we're trying to make the freeing of Bill Cosby from jail as a win for a obviously broken and corrupt criminal justice system that you know that incarcerates black men um, to a much higher level than anybody else, we all, but we we're trying to make him the face of of that while he himself would, would outright deny the existence of systemic racism in America. It's yeah, just... and I'll say this, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor warned us about Bill Cosby. They did, they <laughs> sure did. Richard Pryor warned us about Bill, you know, they, you know, and I remember when the, I watched those jokes as a kid that Eddie Murphy was making, I'm like, why would you make fun of Bill Cosby? He's so nice, he gave us Fat Albert. But hey, <laughs> they, they warned us, hey, he's not everything he's cracked up to be. We saw how he treated Lisa Bonet. Right. You know, I mean, to me, that's the disgusting part is that he really has came from this respectability. You know, I'm the example. I'm the role model. And you're the the most disgusting of all of them. Right. And he made millions upon millions of dollars (laughs) portraying that life to people and people, you know, his wife, Camille. Meanwhile, you're trying to get every woman on your set back back to your place. It's like. I just don't understand of all the people that you want to run to defend, why is he the one you want to run and defend? Right. And this Trevor Bauer situation, first of all, I got to give a shout out to, you know, our colleagues, Katie Strang and Britt Garoli, who have done just incredible reporting on this Trevor Bauer story. And I can say, as somebody who covers stories like this, it's really hard. Um, like, it's, it's hard to be a woman covering sexual assault. It is hard to be a Black person covering racial violence. It, there's mm-hmm. a lot of harm and PTSD that goes into that kind of reporting. So shout out to Britt and Katie. Um, but the Trevor Bauer thing happening on the same day, which was wild. Um, yeah. To me, the, the most difficult part, you know, hearkening back to something that you said, Jason, was 
the two most difficult parts of it were one, just reading the report, reading the 67 pages of what this woman says he did to her. Um, and then two, reading the comments on social media from people who are so quick to defend this dude. And like, I don't really understand it, but I, I did tweet something to the effect of, you know, and, and I'm not the first person to say this, but when victims and survivors read those kinds of comments, it feels like your own case is being relitigated in the in the in the court of public opinion. And it's everything from, you know, like you said, like this this relationship between them, this sexual relationship between them did start consensually. And it's people not understanding that you can revoke consent in the middle of being with somebody. Um, but then also just very basically, she was unconscious. Like you just can't consent to something when you are literally knocked out. Um, and I don't know, it's just been... It's been wild to see the fan reaction, but even more so, it was wild that it took MLB as long as it did to place him on paid leave. It's not a suspension. It's paid leave. But he was scheduled to start on Sunday until, I think, Saturday, which is wild. Yeah, I, and, and like I said, I'm a, everybody knows, I'm a big Dodger fan. And right. it was just a very – I mean, even before this – there have been some uncomfortable Trevor Bauer moments on social media. You start going back and, and you know, I, I, I wasn't too familiar with them until he signed with the Dodgers. And then over the season, I'm like, God, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> you know, I don't, that doesn't mean that he's guilty of what he's been accused of. I'm like, this guy just, he's one of those guys where you only root for him to do well if he's on your team. Right. He's not a guy where you're going to, you know, read a story about him. If, he, if In my case, if he's playing for the Colorado Rockies and go, you know what? This Trevor Bauer dude is such a cool guy. I hope he does well. You know, but then just to read, uh, hear people say, well, you know, you know, just the whole, I was, I was just like, can't you just send him home? Like, I mean, it's not, you know, even if you don't want to suspend him without whatever, can you just send him home? It's okay to send him home. Well, and listen, this is the same Dodgers ownership that I praised um, for four, maybe five years ago um, for refusing to engage in trade talks with the Cincinnati Reds about a role as Chapman um, because he was accused of domestic violence. And I'm a Yankees fan. A role as Chapman obviously landed on my team and, and I have a very difficult time rooting for him. But at the time, it seemed like and these were you know reports that we got. Um, from from people doing doing the reporting on those trade negotiations at the time, it it very much sounded like Dodgers ownership was not willing to engage in this in this trade talk because of this bad thing that Aroldis Chapman was accused of. So I guess I had higher hopes, and maybe I was naive in how they would handle the Trevor Bauer situation. Um, but I think at the end of the day, every team is literally just looking out for what they can put on the field. Yeah, and I think you know you can't ignore just some of the cultural racial different you know i know a guy like chapman maybe where english isn't your primary language mm. you know just the pr of having him speak you know i've i've heard stuff about that people say well how does he speak on it and maybe things get lost in translation sometimes it, you know they also weren't paying uh, chapman 40 million dollars right <laughs> you, know, you know with a contract well, that, that was like the thing that, is you're that... gonna say you know what let's just see how far we can ride this out until we have to do something and it's mm -hmm. like you know you really don't have to you know the Dodgers have plenty of players you know do I do I like bullpen games no but <laughs> you you know you got a guy named David you're Price. not about this opener business yeah yeah you got a guy named David Price on your team you know yeah. he, he might be able to help you kind of stem the tide and there's nothing wrong with letting us you know getting the facts and figuring out what to do from there but I just thought it was weird that they just kind of were like well 
maybe if we don't do anything, maybe people will stop talking about it. And I was just thinking, it's going to be a shit show on Sunday when he pitches. And then it after the game, no one talks about the game. I mean, can you imagine what that would have looked like on, on, first of all, July 4th, right? Like, so, which is a time when, you know, more people are at the ballpark, more people are tuning in. Like, you know, this is obviously a huge a holiday for us as a country, but on July 4th, two, three days after this huge report about these things that he's been accused of, um, having him go out on the mound, what kind of a shit show would that have been? Yeah. And then ask him after the game. So about the third inning. You know, it it was, and you know, and I, and I think, I don't think you had to have him, have him pitch. And I think, you know, eventually they did the right thing and I don't know how it'll be resolved, but yet that was just, yeah, like I said, reading that report, I I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is, this is crazy. Like you're reading it going, oh my, like what the hell is going on here? Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, so that's been, you know, from the insurrection to violence against women, you know, we've had obviously some really hard things to deal with as a country and as sports fans. Um, but what is something from the first half of, of this year that brought you joy? And I'll give you mine. It, it, it's been, and we're, you know, I think I would love for this NBA finals to go seven games. I think this is going to be a super fun series. But for me, one of the joyous things of, 2021 so far has been these young kids, the Devin Bookers and the Trey Youngs coming out and just showing us who they are um, and, and showing us that like there is, there is, there is a next generation of stars that have already broken out in the NBA. Yeah. I think every, every generation people go, well, who's going to be next. There's always somebody who's going to be next. And you know, you know, you got those guys, you still got Luca, you know, you still got guys who are veterans who are still relatively young. I think Brooklyn will be fine next year if they can keep, you know, keep everyone healthy. I think the NBA will be fine. It'll be fine. I think if they can just get back to a normal schedule, get guys kind of get their body rhythms back. But for me, and it's kind of, I don't know if it's sacrilege for me to say this, especially as a, as a Raider guy, and I still hate the tuck rule. I thought watching, I'm also a big fan of like historic feats. Mm. I thought it was cool to watch a guy almost my age and Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. And that, and like I said, that's and partly because he beat the Chiefs. <laughs> I won't deny that, but <laughs> I, I, you know, because even the year they went undefeated and I'm, you know, I was like, it'd be cool to see him go undefeated. Well, as a- you know, so I wasn't mad at the Giants, but I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> So I, I thought, you know, as, as somebody who's over 40, I re- generally I had this thing. I would root for fat basketball players because <laughs> I was just like, the fact that you're out there built like me or bigger than me and you're playing basketball is cool. And I root for old people in, in sports. And, you know, as weird as people think as he is and is just kind of he's kind of a guy people don't like. I thought it was cool to watch old man Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. I I can objectively fandom has been revoked. I can objectively separate my own fandom to say that it 
it, it was an incredible feat to watch someone of his age come in, granted, come in with what was already the best wide receiver core in the NFL and then add Gronkowski, but sure, you know, yeah. come in. Um, a year after we saw what he could do with absolutely no receivers around him. Um, and just win a Super Bowl exactly according to script. Um, it, was, it was cool to see that. Now, man, that was pulling teeth for me to say because I hate Tom Brady so much. But <laughs> I understand. I'm pretty sure all my, all my Raider people are going to be like, you said what? But it was like, hey, it was cool to watch. I thought it was cool. You know and what, I though? Thought- I feel you on if, you're, if you don't have a team in it and you don't have a particular thing that you are rooting for, as, the, as a sports writer, I always root for the story. And Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl was the best story there. Yeah, I, you know, he goes to a team that, you know, hadn't done anything. The quarterback threw like 50 picks the year before. <laughs> and he comes in and, oh, now they're Super Bowl champion. I, to me, you couldn't beat that story. Even if the story, even if the main character was a guy that I'm like, he gets to win another. And then I'm petty and I live in the Bay Area. And I love to tell my Bay Area friends that Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. So it just gave me more ammunition to be petty. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Cause I mean, that's my thing with, even with the finals, it's like, I know like two, four Suns fans and like two Bucks fans. So I need the Bucks to win mm-hmm. so that I don't have to hear from Suns fans. So, I mean, when you don't have anybody in it, you can find different things to root for. I usually root for my fraternity brothers if they're in it. You know, the, uh, the assistant GM for Milwaukee's in my fraternity. Okay. You know, so I'll, I'll lean my support toward Milwaukee, I guess, just for that alone. But I think there's been some cool things going on. So I think as much as it also pains me, Fernando Tatis has been mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. That paint, you know. You know, even that team that plays by Disneyland has a player that's you know, <laughs> fun to watch. You know, so I think I've, I think it feels like baseball is taking a little bit of a resurgence right now. I don't know how much, but it feels like baseball is picking up, too, which I think is cool because I love baseball. I'm a big baseball fan and no one ever wants to go to games with me, Harley. Oh, okay. Well, I'm out in the Bay Area at the end of August, man. We'll, we'll go to a game. I think I've already got tickets, actually. But I think, okay. I think the Yankees and the A's uh, are playing when I'm out there. Um, yeah, no, baseball, baseball has been a hype. As a Yankee fan, my team has been an extremely disappointingly low point. But the fact that I can still say, with all of the disarray that the team I root for is in, that this has been a phenomenal baseball season already, you know, sticky stuff, controversy aside and whatever bullshit Trevor Bauer is going like, you know, um, between Shohei Otani in Anaheim slash Los Angeles. Um, no, Anaheim. We're not, they're not Los Angeles. I'm, we're not, we're not going to give them that. I don't care what they, <laughs> no, they play in Orange County because when they won the world series uh-huh. in 02, they let LA know this is our world series, not yours. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they're a hundred percent an Anaheim team. Um, but between Shohei Otani just doing things that we have literally never seen anybody do before, he's he's about to be the starting pitcher in the All Star game and be in the lineup. Like you know, uh, <laughs> he's starting you know back cleanup. It's a little it's a little bit wild. Um, Jacob Degrom just being otherworldly. Like we have right now, we've got a pitcher in each league who could very well also be the MVP of their team. Um, and we just haven't seen this in a very long time. And then, like you said, the young kids that, you know, Tatis Jr. is just, is 
a thrill to watch. Um, so there's definitely been some good things in baseball for, for those of us who love baseball. Man, we got to get someone to go to games with you out there. Yeah, my kids don't mind. I've converted my kids into Dodger fans. Okay. I took them to a Dodger game for, you know, so they'll go with me. But a lot of times it's just like, you want to go watch baseball? But it's <laughs> like, my, it, I like baseball too because it's, I don't cover it. Mm-hmm. I can just go there and just chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, kick my feet up in the bleachers and just, and, you know, enjoy a nice day out. So, but, I mean, I'm enjoying the fact that more people are, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, it's not the Maguire Sosa resurgence. Mm-hmm. But I think when you've got some young guy, like I said, Tatis Jr., I know people who don't watch baseball, they know who he is. Right. And in that first series between the Dodgers and the Padres, it was April. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a September series. And, you know, I, I think that's great for baseball. And, I, you know, it's uh, baseball definitely has its awards, its issues, you know. But I've always been a big baseball fan. And I'm looking forward to see how this whole season, you know, turns out. Right. Well, like we said at the top of the show, Enough has happened in the last four or five days that we could do a whole show on that. Um, The first thing I wanted to ask you about, Jason, um, from just the month of July, is this Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor thing. Um, The New York Times put out this report um, with, you know, the full context of this leaked tape of Rachel Nichols talking um, to a guy named Adam Mendelson, um, basically saying that the reason Maria Taylor um, got the gig to um, got the gig for the NBA finals at ESPN was because of ESPN's commitment to diversity and because Maria Taylor happens to be black. Now, I think a lot of us were not surprised because Mm -hmm. a lot of us in this industry who are not white men Assume that our colleagues think that some of our colleagues think that about us. Definitely fans and readers have said to me that I'm an affirmative action hire. Um, I've gotten that too. I've gotten that too. You know, so, I mean, it's not, it wasn't earth shattering that someone would think that. Right. But what was your reaction when, when you read Rachel specifically um, and when you've seen kind of the fallout that's happened since then, um, ESPN announced today that um, Malika Andrews will be doing the sideline reporting and not Rachel Nichols, which I feel, I feel bad for Malika because she doesn't deserve, I mean, she deserves that job. She does not deserve to be thrown into the fire and you know people are going to say some shit to her. Yeah, it's a, it's, it just seems like a big mess that ESPN mishandled from the start. and the fact that it's gone a whole year Mm -hmm. and you get to this point, you know, and the story comes out and it's, it's just pitting people, you know, the thing is, it's not, it's not Maria's fault. It's to me, it's not all Rachel's fault. It's not Malika's fault. It's not, to me, the most embarrassing part was the jump, you know, that the Monday after Mm -hmm. you've got her up there with Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson and now you've put two black men who have nothing to do with this in a situation where, okay, we're going to let you know, Rachel say something. And now you guys, like, do we chastise her? What do we do? You know, what are we supposed to say about this? And it's, it's just messy all around. But, I mean, these conversations happen behind closed. I mean, you, I've heard them. I've had people tell me, you only get stuff because you're cool with the players. Mm-hmm. And you know what that's code for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, because the players like you. It's like, that's actually not true. I mean, it can be the reverse thing of the black man covering players because the players can assume that you're supposed to protect them no matter what. And the moment you write, they missed 10 shots in the fourth quarter. 
they think you sold them out. Right. <laughs> you know, but it was, it, it was, it's, it's also become one of those, like, a, you know, a typical of 2021, a polarizing thing where there's a, just a general lack of nuance in these discussions. And, you know, it's like anyone who said anything about Rachel, oh, you're caping for, mm-hmm. uh-huh, look at you, you know, and, but I also have friends in my life, black women who felt like, why is it that the first thing some men felt the need to do was run out and defend Rachel? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I know my friend, Amin El Hassan, he knows her. People are texting me, get your boy, look at him. I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know? Well, and I mean, I mean, I mean, putting, you know, caping for Rachel, if you think that's what he was doing aside, Amin had some truth to say about Waj also. About, oh, about, oh, yeah, like, the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole, well, yeah, that was, that was something a lot of people were saying. I'm glad someone said that, you know, you've got, you know, Woj coming out and saying, you know, she's a bad teammate. A lot of folks in the business giggled at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, she's a bad teammate, you know, all the bodies you've left right. littered across this business. So, I mean, there's a whole lot going there. And the, the thing is, a lot of these discussions, unfortunately, happen on social media mm-hmm. where there isn't room for nuance and true discussion. And I did listen to, uh, I think uh, Dan Lebitard had Amin and Jamel Hill on his show. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a real discussion about the culture of ESPN and what happens here and why these things happen. And to me, it was a bigger metaphor for companies as a whole last year. Oh, my God, the world's falling apart. Black people are mad. Let's get a black person out there. Right. You know, and I think it's and it, it puts someone like Maria in a bad spot. People look at her like, oh, OK, we know why, you, you know, did you earn this job? And it's 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 really unfair to everyone involved. And I think I wish that if this thing kind of plays out, people will look at the people above them and look at how they've handled this, not just this. Just issues of race at ESPN over years, going back to Jamel mm-hmm. Hill and some of the things that were said about even Stuart Scott about being too black on the air. I mean, this isn't a new problem in any corporation. ESPN is just the, the biggest in the in the broadcast business for sports, but there's a lot of discussions that need to be had, honest discussions. And it's just right now it just it's just become a typical social media either you're on this side or that side discussion when there's a lot more nuance that probably needs to be added to them but no one wants that you got to have a hot take yeah yeah i mean i so i i had i i worked at espn for a few years and um i today taped a pod with richard deitch and jane mcmanus about this um just about our own experiences and it is quite a thing that you know i mean rachel deserves criticism for what she said obviously Mm -hmm. but she she should not be the focus necessarily of this ESPN management put put both of these women put the entire company in this situation and like you said they've had a year to come up with some kind of a response to this and not only has Jimmy Pataro not said anything to this point um, but their response was like you said Jason to have Rachel Nichols do this kind of introductory segment apology to the jump and then immediately have Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson have to have to kind of support her or act as, I don't know, scaffolding is the way I would put it. Maybe like <laughs> it, it, it just, it, and, and she starts that statement, that apology by saying, you know, journalism 101, the first rule of journalism is to not make yourself the story. And then her apology became a story because, because they put two black men up there to support her instead of just having yeah. her statement stand alone. Um, so, it yeah. Was just, 
just fumbled all the way around. And then when, it, when the report says the only person who was punished was, was a young Caleb. black woman producer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it, it just, it's just bad all the way around. And like I said, just the, the whole, we're going to have her up here with, you know, with the two, with the two black players. It's just like, is anyone thinking this stuff through? And I mean, to, I mean, outside of what Rachel said, there were other things that were troubling in that article. The whole idea that was she really promised that gig, mm-hmm. and then was it, you know, was it taken away? I mean, there's other things. I'm not not to defend her, but I think what there's there's just other things that you can just tell. She even has a comment in the story about kind of the whole idea of all these Trump voting people who she works for, mm-hmm. and the way they make decisions. So. There's like a level of angst she's expressing, but everything stuck is, is in a lot of ways, rightfully so in the Maria Taylor part, because it's triggering because as a person of color in this business, you, you know, you know, Rachel could have went to any number of reasons why it was frustrating. Maria is younger. They think she's more attractive. She's the new hot talent, you know, whatever. I think where it triggered people was what the first thing you think is, oh, she's a diversity hire. AKA she's not qualified. Right. And that was the triggering part, which is why people are stuck on that part. But there's a whole lot more to that story than just that. And at the end of the day, what it comes off as is Rachel versus Maria, which it shouldn't be. I don't know how you go a year and don't get them two in a room. Right. Don't get them you two know, in a I room. The pandemic, get them on a Zoom together. I don't understand how you go a year. Mm-hmm. How does this story get to even come out and you're still in that space? Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that you said that because one, I mean, yes, obviously, I, I think like I really do need to point out I don't think or know if Maria Taylor is a quote unquote diversity hire. I think that being a diversity hire doesn't mean you are unqualified for the job that you have been hired to do. And Maria Taylor is obviously extremely qualified and very good at what she does, um, and is a generational talent. But I am glad that you also brought up the other stuff in that article because I I. You're right. There is no room for nuance, especially on social media. And you don't want it to sound like you're defending what Rachel said about Maria. But some of the stuff that she said on that tape about how these negotiations did or did not go down sure do raise some questions. And those questions should be directed and answered, directed to and answered by ESPN management. And they're just not stepping up at all. Yeah, you know, and all that happened in the midst of Shakari Richardson too. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, we've had a we've had a full July. <laughs> so that was my next, you know, not just Shakari Richardson, but that was obviously the biggest kind of Olympic headline to come out of the weekend. It's it's been quite a rough few days for black athletes and for black Olympians. Um, you know, first, Jason, your reaction to Shakari? You know, she found out her biological mom had died. And smoked some weed in Oregon, where it is legal, um, and will now be suspended for 30 days and will not be able to race in her individual event at the Olympics. She'll still be able to race at the relays. And I felt I felt for you know the sympathy just for what she was going through in that moment, and I think a lot of us make might have made a, a, a similar decision given that. I wondered about her support system at that point, like who was there for her in that moment, especially given how she found out. But I also didn't think that it was a grand conspiracy against her. Like she tested positive. I don't know what you want 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 to do. We all know that you know when it comes to drug testing in the Olympics, they're very they're stuck in their ways. Right. And to me, the discussion of whether or not cannabis should or should not be allowed is a different conversation. 
but the rule, I mean, as, as cold as it sounds, the rule is the rule. And I just hate it that it became this, un, again, unnuanced, let's compare apples to oranges. We started dragging Michael Phelps into it, mm -hmm. whose situation was completely Michael Phelps sitting at home on the couch, minding his own business. <laughs> now he's getting drugged into this. And then you got between, you know, it's just, it was, I, I, I believe she handled it better than her supporters. Yeah. She, she said, I did it. I know I wasn't supposed to when I did. I take my punishment. And I start getting messages. We're going to start a petition to get her in the hundred. It doesn't work that way, people. She's not running the hundred. She's not, you know, she's going to take her 30 days, which could have been 90 people mm -hmm. forget. You know, but I think there was a lack of, you know, sympathy and empathy for her in that in the case. But again, those are two separate conversations, I think, you know, are they going to change the rules one day? Who knows? But there does need to be a discussion just about the fact that you have cannabis legal in X amount of states, but not legal federally. And just, there's just some, you know, you got other sports leagues relaxing on it, you know, and I've had players tell me they rather they rather get high than take a bunch of pills any day. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, there's there's a lot to it, but yeah, it was it was, it was quite it was quite the Fourth of July weekend for sports. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, it's I love I love what you said there because my initial reaction, I think, like a lot of people, was, man, this is some bullshit. Like she smokes some weed. Yeah, like, come on, it's weed. It's weed, right? Like, this? what's the big deal? You are absolutely right in that it is like very clearly against the rules. Um, and like you said, Shikari came out and completely owned it, and. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of, I have seen some of her, some of supporters, you know, what, trying to start a petition or, or everything like that. But for the most part, I have seen people acknowledging that it is against the rules, but that the rule is, the rule should be changed, um, especially yeah. under, under, you know, the U.S. USADA. So, I mean, like the distinction here is that THC or weed is illegal for the Olympics under WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, but not as a performance enhancer. It's illegal as a, quote, substance of abuse. So as a drug, basically, right? Yeah. Um, and, they, and they say that it may enhance performance because it can help with recovery. Right. That, that, that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a definite. It's a it might help. Right. It might help enhance recovery. And that's how it's classified in the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency is that it is considered to some level a performance enhancer that globally we can't do anything about this because weed is illegal in certain countries and 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 not in others but as far as u.s trials or the u.s olympics team it does seem like this is the perfect opportunity to rethink um the usopc and usada stance on marijuana being um being a banned substance because i mean there is a lot of signs out there that refutes the extent to which THC can can aid in recovery or can be performance enhancing. But beyond that, it is continuously getting more legal in more states. Um, and it just seems like having a unified ban on something that is fairly benign and recreational um, just seems like we're we're not doing anybody favors. And obviously is it's going to most likely um, detrimentally impact black athletes more than white athletes. Right, and I think it's almost crazy to think that Shakari would have been better off taking like three shots of Patron mm -hmm. <laughs> to deal with to deal with whatever she was dealing with. But like I said, there's a whole lot to that. There's mental health. There's physical health. There's just well, I think it was you who said kind of like in an offhand comment, but there was so much truth in it that you were like, um, 
you know, uh, wait until a marijuana or a THC company becomes an Olympic sponsor and then we'll be totally fine with this, right? Like, because obviously we've got liquor companies that have Olympic sponsorships and, you know. Yeah. And once you can make money off of it, it'll all be fine. Right. Well, I guess my last thing is we're going into the Olympics. The Olympics start this month. Um, we will be without Shikari in the hundred. We will be with Gwen Berry, probably um, raising her fist or doing something during the anthem that will cause people to lose their minds, no matter what she does. Um, we've got, uh, we've, I mean, you know, we've got Simone Biles just going for some, you know, ridiculous records that we've never really seen any other human kind of accomplish. What are you looking forward to the most? And are you nervous at all about COVID and these games? One, yes. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to handle housing and everything, but yeah, I'm just imagining that whole, though, know, do you do the whole introductory ceremony have all the, you know, all you need is one or two people and that could just be a terrible situation over there. You don't know who's vaccinated, not vaccinated, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, that should be a worry. But I'm me, I'm a big track and field person. I'm still going to watch it. I'm still going to see, you know, maybe, you know, hopefully Shakari can be in the, on the relay team and we get to see that. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm going to watch, every, you know, I'm going to watch the basketball teams, all that stuff as well. But I don't really have a specific thing anymore because really Shakari was going to be the star mm-hmm. that I was going to be like, wow, you know, I'm not a big gymnastics guy. So I'm not, I mean, I hope, you know, I'll watch Simone Biles, but that's really not my thing. My thing is basketball and track. Mm-hmm. So I'm still going to watch all that. You know, I'm not going to boycott. <laughs> so, but I, I think there'll be a lot of uh, probably unfair pressure on Gwen Berry, no matter what she does now, every little thing she'll do will be turned into like, well, is she protesting? It's like, she's tying her shoe, calm down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be watching for all of that stuff, you know, in July, yeah, August. For sure. I mean, it, it is going to be interesting. Obviously, you know, basketball for me, the, the women's soccer in particular is always fun at the Olympics. Um, gym, I love gymnastics, so I will always, you know, especially with someone of the, of the talent level of Simone Biles, but yeah, track for me is always kind of track and swimming are the, are the premier events, um, at the Olympics, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the COVID situation and and how they're actually going to handle this. So I hope they pull it off. You know, I was very skeptical of pretty much every sports league that came back last year and they all pulled it off and I was happy for it. So um, yeah, so it should be an interesting, an interesting month and, uh, well, an interesting start to the games at the end of the month. So it's been an interesting six months already in 2021. Like some of this pod, um, the year has been chaos. So <laughs> 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 looking forward to even more, even more of that chaos. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you to all of you out there for listening to Culture Calculus. If you like our show, please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.